All right, everybody, welcome to the first episode of How to Catch Cougar 101. I'm here with Brian Palaszczuk, our star writer for the sports section here. Um, for those that don't know me, I'm Tyler Meadows, sports editor here at the Carillon. And uh, we're just here to talk about uh, sports in general, sports, sports, sports. Um, super excited. Uh, we'll start off with campus sports, uh, which Brian has been covering all year how's that going all year long so yeah. well first thanks for the uh t- little tire pump there tyler nice introduction <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm a sports writer for the carillon so um cougars this year uh there's been a little bit of regression from last year overall i think that's fair to say on campus sports yeah t- tell me about the rams because i've been super I, I mean i read all your articles obviously um for the rams and it seems like they were so close yet so far and yeah they're they a couple of games off of making the playoffs so tell like i know you went to a couple of games yeah tell me about their season a little bit so the rams um that that was a tough one. Yeah, they were one game short of making the playoffs. Well, not even a game. They were yeah. they were another team losing. Yeah, the playoffs. yeah. Like I saw, um, Calgary was playing Winnipeg, wasn't it? Calgary and uh, Manitoba. 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 And, and Calgary beats Manitoba in that game nine times out of ten. Yeah. But Manitoba, a team that is not objectively not very good yeah. in Canada West. Loses to a team that wins <laughs> the Hardy Cup. Wins the Vanier Cup, And the too. Vanier Cup, yeah, yeah. They just beat U to M. So a team that beats the best team from the East loses to U, University of Manitoba for the Rams to yeah. not make it out of Yeah, it's tough. Button. It's tough. And, like, most of, their game, most of their losses were by, like, a score. There was two games lost by one point? Or? Yeah. yeah. Two by one. And, um, wow. Wow. So talking about the Rams, like going into the season, they were they were in a bit of a tough position. Uh, yeah. Graduating, they had a lot of important players they lost, especially offensively. Yeah. So obviously yeah. Noah Picton yeah. um, was drafted uh, in the CFL, didn't end up playing, but uh, yeah, yeah. moved on as a fifth year all time receiving uh, yards, passing yards, I should say, leader. Um, they lost their rising star running back, yeah, Borsa, who was a huge help in winning the games uh which unfortunately ultimately forfeit those two because of his suspension so um losing the two biggest quarter of your offense is never a easy way to start the season but they had uh josh donnelly coming in so a bit of a crazy story from josh he was actually below uh seb britton on the depth chart on the depth chart going into the season but he filled in when Seb got injured in the last game of last season and I think put up 300 passing cool. yards. So had a good camp, uh, came in as a starter, and he'd just been dominant this year. So uh, that's the biggest addition that to their game that's allowed them to be successful. I think he was top three in Ken West for passing yards per game. That's pretty good because he missed two games as well for, for injury as well. Yeah, that's another thing I want to touch on. So... They lose by one point to UBC, a team that they have no business losing to. Right. But it's a game where they're 
Josh is injured, Josh yeah. Donnelly, and um, Britton, Cy Britton, their backup, is also injured. So they're yeah. playing their third-string quarterback and losing by one in a game yeah. that they need to win to get into the playoffs. So in terms of their season overall, though, I thought there was a lot of um, big improvement, a lot of players that stepped up, especially on the offense and their young receiving yeah. core. Yeah. Uh, Borsma and Bennett Stusick uh, were phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you followed that. But yeah, yeah, of course. Like, I, I saw um, a lot of their receivers. It, it seemed like Donnelly was really distributing the ball really well throughout uh, his receiving core. Um, Semba had a really good overall, I think, uh, year rushing the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like their offense is solid going forward. I know they lose a couple of guys to uh sen- sen- they lose a couple of senior receivers. Yeah, Ryan Scheinben and Cal Morgan. Yeah, so. yeah. So those are those are big losses, but uh but on the defensive side of the ball, they're not losing too much. They're uh, D-line yeah. Eric Wachowski obviously yeah. is a big part of that. Big um part. but I think that moving forward they're going to be in pretty good shape and this is a team that's only getting better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and if they have a really good recruiting class, I mean, I'm not sure uh, what the recruiting class looks like. I'm not sure if you know yet. Um, I don't. I haven't had a chance to like look into it too much. But from what I've heard from Coach Price, he's pretty enthused about this recruiting class and the last few right. as of continuing course. to develop. Uh, because you know, obviously, in uh, varsity football you don't play typically in your first year. Yeah. Uh, there's a development curve that goes into that. Yeah, yeah, especially football. Football is such a... Almost like... Uh, it's it's almost like a union in the sense where sometimes seniority is valued uh, more so than uh, talent. But uh, I will say, like, it's pretty impressive that they give Donnelly, like, the entire offense right from the get-go. Yeah, full reins. Yeah, it's a passing-driven offense. Yeah, and um, and in the, in the same token, a guy who well, Borsma, a guy who never played uh, much prior to this year, yeah. starts every game and you know gets the the moniker "Big Play Borsma" for putting up like fifty-yard receptions every yeah. game. Yeah, so. that it's pretty incredible. Like, uh, I think their I think their special teams struggled a little bit this year their special teams was not good i would say i like i'll put it bluntly i don't think it was i don't think it was good no it was in in games that are coming down to one point when when your defense is playing fairly well that's that's gonna it's gonna cost you yeah definitely and like it seemed like their defense was overall good but would have these very specific breakdowns um at inopportune times and in some cases, repetitive mistakes, giving yeah. up a uh, major on the first yeah. drive of the game, I yeah. think happened three times. So yeah. getting off, you know, if you're always getting off to a slow start, that's not going to uh, do good for you. But, but this is a team, though, I think, that really could have made the playoffs and, and went deep. Like, they, they showed they can play with every team in Canada West. There wasn't a single team they didn't beat for half of a football game. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean... I don't see any reason why this team can't necessarily be second in Can West next year. Mm. Um, I mean, Calgary, they're such a dominating force, and they're always going to get 
top tier players because their their program is so consistently good and I mean the the school is amazing you know Calgary is a bigger city yeah you know a little bit um more of an incentive to live in Calgary than necessarily Regina um but I don't really see any reason why the Regina program seems to be really improving and I, I think Coach Bryce is a big part of that. I really like him. I've I've gotten to speak w- speak with him a few times and he, he seems like a really good guy to uh, actually play for. Yeah, he, see, he seems to be a coach who understands his players, uh, knows how to motivate them. Yeah. Level-headed, not a guy who's going to be berating players for yeah. making mistakes. So and I think you see that where the players want to play for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, they're able to improve, I think, you know, in compared to some other teams where if you, you lose a game, you know, yeah. you're going to lose the next one because. Of yeah. That. Yeah, for sure. So I want to move on. Um, and I want you to get, I want to talk to you about swimming. Yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, Brian is an all-star swimmer, uh, m- medals at Canwest Championship just this past weekend. So tell me about tell me about the team first, and then and then we'll talk about you in a, in a little bit. Let, let's hear more about the team this year. So, the swim team we have this year, um, like a lot of the teams on campus, is a lot of new faces it's it's a it's a young team yeah so um we faced a lot of graduations and people leaving for various reasons mm-hmm. um so because of that uh, i would say right now the depth on the swim team uh, isn't necessarily where it has been in the last two or three years mm-hmm. um but the quality is still there and i think that's you know, University of Regina, uh, you talked about in football how that recruiting capital is, is valuable. Yeah. Um, in a swim team in Regina, we're still working to build that of course. Uh, recruiting advantage. So yeah. uh, starting getting some swimmers from uh, international, we have swimmers on the roster from uh, Egypt, Qatar, uh, and even in eastern provinces, Ontario, Quebec. Uh-huh. Um, that's been instrumental in helping us to build and, build and grow. Um but overall, I'm really happy with how this young team has uh, come together. Ken West, uh, yeah, I mean, you talked about uh, the success we had as a team, winning some medals. Um, uh, Etienne Pekin Fuzzy, he was yeah. a champion in 200 Butterfly. Yeah. Um, first time that's happened, I think, since 2003. Wow. So um, that was pretty big, uh, especially because we tend to be a team focuses more on long course, so the latter half of the season so if, if for those of you who don't know about swimming there's short course which is a 25 meter pool and long mm-hmm. course 50 meter pool um national championships like in track are in the olympic course which is the long course pool so i think our team will only be better uh, going forward yeah that makes sense um how many more how many more people do you think um will see swimming as an avenue um for sport honestly because um 
you you were talking we were talking earlier about the growing mm-hmm. community in in swimming and uh, how it's growing both nationally and internationally in interest and they've got this new league as well. Um, can you talk a little bit more about uh, the new things in swimming and what uh, what might pique people's interests? Yeah, so um, swimming. Uh, obviously is a low viewership sport on average, uh, except when the Olympics rolls around, we, we tend to be one of the most popular sports. So in the swimming community, uh, using the Olympic year to leverage that popularity a little bit, um, some investors have started a new professional swimming league called the ISL, International Swimming League. Uh, so the premise of this league is, uh, like other major league, major league sports, to have teams based, uh, globally actually in Europe and America and to compete head-to-head in, in dual meets that aren't, aren't focused on times so much as swimming as a sport tends to be but racing and scoring points as a team so taking all the exciting aspects of swimming as a sport the racing and the different medium that people I think are attached to it's it's interesting to see people moving through water as fast yeah, as they can uh, yeah. but applying some of those ex- ex- that excitement factor to it um, so I think that'll be great for the sport if uh, if you have an opportunity to check it out it's on CBC is, is uh, airing the meets um, we're coming up to the final now which will be in Vegas so uh, you can that's pretty cool that uh, that definitely when we were talking about it a little bit earlier like it really piqued my interest it's uh it seems like a new way to view swimming in that we really haven't seen before televised especially yeah it's a, it's a totally different format right um it feels more like a boxing match so the, the lights are out there's music uh, yeah. light shows it's it's it, it's a lot more entertaining it's entertaining yeah, yeah they drive the rivalries um yeah and there's storylines already building surrounding that uh, which is really fun, and it's it's great uh, for the athletes financially to be able to compete in a low draw sport, and yeah. and like we talked before, make a make a living doing it. I think one of the biggest things is you for sports fans, it almost seems like they need laundry to attach themselves to, and whether that's wrapping yourself in the flag when it comes around to Olympic time, and you you know you can cheer for any Canadian, um, but it's hard to follow. Um, the Canadians as they go through the world championships and stuff like that because there's less coverage in general Mm -hmm. and it's I mean let's be frank it's not the Olympics but if you can attach like some sort of tribe to this to swimmers and get people attached like that like I mean if we were to have uh, one of these ISL teams in like Toronto Mm -hmm. and build a brand around that too I think it would be a lot more interesting to people and they could say oh yeah that's the toronto dolphins yeah it's it's really fun we're already seeing the those brand alliances forming and in such a short period of time um it's really exciting like uh they're selling out 15 1600 seats for swimming competitions and in fairly large venues i mean like in hungary it's it's a country with a fairly good swimming tradition i think they sold out like ten thousand seats wow for theirs yeah um 
in Budapest. But uh, to be having events in places like Indianapolis, they had one, and to sell out 1,500 seats at Indianapolis University for a swimming competition, uh, and have people there cheering for the teams that the Indiana yeah. University swimmers are, so cheering for the New York Breakers and coming with merchandise. That's a yeah, that's huge. Like, I mean, that's such a that that could be such a good market for swimming, and it opens up tons more opportunity for the swimmers themselves because they really don't have as much financial incentive i mean when you talk about you know the ncaa Mm -hmm. and you know if you're swimming in there you you have no opportunities at all you can't make money at all Uh, and then if you go like professionally there's not much opportunity really there either um besides like you were saying the top 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 tier of swimmers um there's not much for the uh above average but uh still exceptional swimmer like yourself yeah so let's say that you're a swimmer from the u.s who's uh winning olympic medals right then you get your kellogg sponsorship and you're yes you're good to go but for a swimmer who's let's say top 25 in the world rankings you know not a household name or from a country with a lower uh draw for swimming like canada um I think some people know Penny Alexiak and, you know, she has her ASIC sponsorship. Of course. But for the majority of Canadian swimmers, um, to be able to compete on various ISL teams, like we have one swimmer, Kylie Moss. Uh, she's a world record, she's a former world record holder, but I don't think too many people know about that. And she doesn't have the ability to leverage that because she doesn't have that Olympic um, fame. So for her to be able to compete on the Cali Condors, the yeah. new ISL swim team, and... Uh, make money and have a, yeah. a contract uh, to leverage that swimming. I think it, it'll grow the sport in Canada, too. I mean, if you are top 25 in the world for swimming, there should be more opportunities for you to make money. I mean, it, you think about any football player, basketball player, hockey player. If you're top 25 in the world, you're making millions of dollars, and there's so much revenue there for you. But swimmers track athletes olympic sports in general there's really not that opportunity even i mean perhaps if if there was more of an opportunity a league like the isl it can draw in more fans you get more viewership numbers and especially with streaming nowadays and people can tune into whatever they want whenever they want rather than cable i think it's a huge opportunity yeah and and swimming has potentially a, a big market as well because like you talk about streaming um, yeah it's a it's a very global sport um, yeah when the main countries competing in swimming are japan australia and the united states um you you don't have that maybe consistent fan base in one location but being able to have a international league uh you can leverage that and and uh, another thing is it's not a sport that's has a specific demographic like swimming is something that everybody can do yeah um for your whole life. So um, I think that it's good to leverage that popularity. Like I think that we've been failing to do that as a sport for a long time. Yeah. Um, Outside of, you know, the United States Olympic community using Michael Phelps to promote swimming in in, in America, but to promote it, promote it on the global scale. Mm -hmm. I think the ISL is a big step in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. So just talk about your career uh, in swimming for just a minute. Um, Tell tell me about um, 
the the Can West Championships here uh, this past weekend, and then what your plans are going forward. So, uh, for a bit of context, I I'm a varsity swimmer with the University of Virginia Cougars. Uh, it's my fourth year, uh, so I'm pretty far along in my uh, varsity career now. And so Canada West Championships, uh, I specialize in the medley events. So uh, I was able to win two bronze medals and a silver medal in the 200 freestyle, 400 medley. And then my specialty, the 200 individual medley, I was second. Um, so Can West... Uh, for us is kind of a preparation competition leading into the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So in an Olympic year, it's uh, it's big to get that a bit of confidence early and yeah. put some faster times in November without fully preparing for the competition, mm-hmm. I guess you could say, is the place that we're at. Um, so if you want to talk about going forward, though, yeah. the so obviously, in an Olympic year, Olympic trials is the is the main focus, of course, uh, for everyone. So for me personally, um, in the two hundred individual medley, uh, uh, my goal would be to first go to Olympic trials and um, try to finish in the top two to give myself a chance yeah. to uh, represent Canada in Tokyo. And uh, should I be able to do that, then the time standard becomes a factor, but yeah. uh, I, as an athlete, I think it's important to take things one step at a time. So right now I'm still focused on U sports. Thankfully, I am not an athlete, so I'm going to jump the gun and say I am sitting down for a podcast with a future Olympic medalist, and uh, that's super exciting for me. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, it's kind of disappointing for you to be sitting here with me right now, <laughs> but um, it's super exciting for myself. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, medals are obviously a secondary thing to look at, but um, yeah, for me it, uh, right now, it's more about the team and, and building the Cougars as much as I can going forward. And if uh, the Olympics are in the cards to help do that and, promote and grow the program and that's important to me i i hope you do that honestly like brian is such a fantastic person and we always wish the best for brian so for those of you listening out there uh if you ever see brian in the hallway please just give him a congratulations or or something and and read his carillon articles because he's he's a great writer he's a great swimmer but he's an even better person honestly well, now I'm going to have a lot of uh, uncomfortable interactions in the hallway <laughs> from the many Carillon podcast listeners yeah, that we're of, bound to have. Of course, yes, 100%. Um, okay, so moving on, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, actually, something that you we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. a, again, is uh, and then the news that has kind of come down and really just a broader conversation about... Um, Mr. Peters and his comments. Uh, I know you're. I know you're a hockey fan. What were your first thoughts when the news that uh, those comments were made? And so far, no action has been taken as well um, for those comments as well. Well, 
as a hockey fan, I think this is a bit naive of me, but when I first saw the comments, I couldn't believe yeah. that something would happen in the AHL. Yeah. Like, well, definitely not in the NHL, but like not even the a- in a professional league. Yeah. That, um, a person like that can slip through the cracks. Um, and I'm amazed that nobody took a harsher stance. I understand that there's a procedure of investigation that needs to yeah. be upheld, but he's since admitted to it and yes. given a very backhanded apology. Yes. Um, at that point, as of right now, I think he still has his job, and I don't think that that should be the case. So, From what I'm hearing and reading... Um, I, 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 I'm reading that it's mostly the legal issues that they're trying to sort out with his contract in terms of... I would imagine that the that Calgary does not want to pay the rest of that contract out. And if they uh, fire him without due cause um, within that specific contract that he signed, uh, they'd, they'd have a suit immediately on their doorstep the next day and they'd lose yeah so that it i understand it from that point of view from the flames point of view i i'm glad that they have not put they removed him from the practices uh they removed him from the games i don't know how that statement of his got out i noticed that the letter was directed to uh the general manager of calgary uh brad Living. I don't. I don't know how that statement even got out. Because I don't know it, if you know. It did was, he? Did he release it to the media too? I'm not sure about that. I know that it was yeah, addressed to the GM. Which yeah. Would, but it seems like it's written with a more public connotation to it. So I'm not sure if it was intentionally released or yeah. if it w- got out. But yeah. Um, regardless, it's here now. So yeah. Um, I think that in terms of legal issues, the, the league has a responsibility yes. um, to, to step in there as well. I don't know where their jurisdiction falls myself, but um, it's something that's bad for the sport of hockey, bad for um, Canada, and bad for uh, the Prairie Provinces that a representative from yeah. a rural person from Alberta uh, would say this. And it makes you think how prevalent this is, as we talked about before. Yeah. Is this something that's still happening? And in junior hockey I think that's the biggest thing for me is worrying I mean I know that it's a bad thing for NHL players NHL players shouldn't have to deal with that type of behavior no person really should have to deal with that behavior uh you know in a workplace setting that everyone can agree on that but I'm worried about the 15 16 17 year olds who are trying to make the NHL and they got this coach who is a tyrant and is behaving in very inappropriate ways. You know, sports, I'm not, I'm not going to just single out hockey here. Sports in general has um, a way of finding uh, that it's not part of the regular workplace setting. They've got a specific culture that is where things are tolerated, you know, yelling and screaming at kids, 15, 16 years old, is accepted. And I don't, I don't 
think that I think that culture is pervasive and it allows people like that to slip through the cracks because it's oh he he lost his head for a minute but he's a good person or he's just well in this case you can't really make that ca- uh, argument but saying something to get the best out of his play it's necessary yeah. There, yeah we always have this narrative and and well especially in hockey but it's it's a good point you make about coaching in general that yeah. coaching culture is autocratic in a lot of ways yeah. and uh it's okay to be like let's be real verbally and emotionally abusive to your athletes yeah um and it's not even the blatant racism uh, of Bill Peters alone, although that's obviously yeah. um, the biggest issue right now. But even the Mike Babcock yeah. allegations of oh. re- getting an athlete, a first-year athlete, to rank players by work ethic, that's, that's, um, that's abuse. Uh. I don't really... <laughs> I understand he tried to use it as a motivational tactic, but I don't really understand how that motivates athletes. I don't really... Like, I mean, I am a psychologist, or, or, Mm. you know, I study psychology and stuff like that. That doesn't make sense to me as a motivational technique to basically rank players and then critique them on their rankings and bringing in the... I know he brought in uh, Mitch Marner, singled out Nazem Kadri as the the least Least hardworking... And then the coach brought in both of them and had a conversation about it. That just seems... The the, the faulty logic is unbelievable. Faulty logic and, and totally out of line. Yeah. And it's and it's not just hockey. Like, it's easy yeah. to oh, yeah. say this is a hockey problem, but it's a coaching problem. It is. In swimming, um, you know, you have personal experience and um, experience from friends, you know, about coaches who are abusive and and it's amazing how the athletes will go out of their way to justify that that well you know you're having success so if it's working it's okay or they're just trying to get the best out of their athletes um but i think that coaching culture needs to change um you need to respect your athletes as people before you can have a coaching position yeah. I think that's the the baseline. Yeah. I wonder this this is a thought that I kind of had. I mean, it's uh it, I, I, it's not well thought out or anything like that. It's just something that I considered. Perhaps people with low competence in a sport. I mean, we're talking about um this guy never was a top-level hockey player. So, he doesn't have competence to show the the players hey look i was i was this big shot hockey player you you can listen to me i know what it takes he he i imagine there's very little difference between x's and o's skills for coaches at that high level you know i'm sure most of his assistant coaches are just as good Mm -hmm. as him at the x's and o's um so he can't use technical knowledge at all so he has to turn to this um philosophy of tyranny and power and dominance in order for his players to listen to him and believe in him uh you know clearly he can't build relationships with his players or else you know he wouldn't be doing those things and saying those things you know there's the report of him uh physically abusing players Mm -hmm. as well so 
I, I would imagine it'd be pretty hard to build a relationship with that type of person. So he can't build relationships with people either. So the only thing that he can turn to is dominance. And, and, that's, and that's what coaches who are incompetent turn to. But, and, and yeah, you see that all the time. Right. Where it, it's just a thought. Like it was just my train of thought. I don't necessarily say that that's what I believe. It's just the thought experiment that I went through in my mind. I think that getting respect via the means of being a successful athlete yourself isn't the only way. I think that um, I don't think that because Bill Peters was maybe an incompetent. Um, hockey player that he needs to get it through i i would say i would say okay so you have to earn the respect somehow yeah he couldn't do it through competence for his hockey skill he couldn't do it with the relationship skills yeah he couldn't do it with um uh coaching skills i mean obviously he has some but the coaching competencies are going to be comparable at that level exactly exactly so The only other domain to gain respect in, uh, from my point of view, or that I can think of right now, is dominance. And I mean, that's coaching philosophy of olden times, too, is dominance and, you know, yelling, screaming, that's how how it was done in the olden days. And that's that's fine, you know. We know better now. Mm -hmm. At least we should know better now. And, And so that's why I think that he, that was his only choice to gain respect, the respect or, of his locker room, or control. Yeah, over control them, would be a better word than respect. But uh, and, and the power dynamic is important too. That these are guys who want to play in the NHL and they want to mm-hmm. have a position. And they want to. There's a lot of financial uh, yep. attachments to that. So you you have to tolerate abuse in that situation in a lot of cases. And I wouldn't even say it's about the financial components. I mean, most of these hockey players, their entire identity is wrapped up in the sport they play. So if they don't have option B, their number one option, and especially if they're at the AHL level, you know, they're so close to that pinnacle that they've been striving for their entire life. Their entire identity is wrapped up in getting to the NHL. If you've got a coach that's standing in the way of that, why would you say anything about it? That's true, and that, that speaks to another problem, not to be victim-blaming here, but yeah. as athletes, we, we put too much of our, uh, too much stock in our, in our value as people, in our position as athletes. Um, not that that's a bad thing, but it, it, it definitely has to be acknowledged as a thing, for sure. Yeah. And then maybe potentially opening yourself up to... Um, that not opening yourself up to that abuse, but coaches using that as leverage, knowing yes. someone uh, his entire life revolves around something and using that against them. Uh, and it's not just the abuse of yelling and hitting people, but um, constant reminders to an athlete that, you know, if you're doing this, you're not going to be able to do this. Like if you're in the AHL, if you're not going to um, come to this, extra skate whatever you're not going to make it to the nhl um i think that playing on those fears and doubts is also a problematic 
form of abuse. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that uh, people see that opening that they can take advantage of, and they just do. So yeah, it's just, it's it's unfortunate, but um, okay. Uh, I want to wrap this up here. Um, what is the what are you most looking forward to in the twenty twenty year of twenty twenty? for campus sports and then sports in general? So for me, um, campus sports, I'm excited to see how our basketball teams continue to do overcoming some adversity, um, especially the women's team who uh, battled injuries as well yeah. as some, some tough losses personnel-wise. Um, and I'm also really excited to see the continued improvement of the Cougar women's hockey team who had one of their worst starts in program history, but have showed resilience and they're fighting back towards that playoff spot. So hoping to see how close to that they can get. Um, and in terms of the world of sports, I'm of course excited to see the ISL finals for swimming in Vegas, tuning in on CBC. Um, and I'm excited to see taking a positive spin on the coaching debacles that have happened in the NHL. I'm excited to see some positive change as more athletes continue to step forward and and speak out about issues like this. Um, it's not just hockey and track and field. Uh, the Oregon Project, um, yep. one of their athletes, yes, uh, came forward and and that domino effect is really, I think, as an athlete, already having uh, demonstrable positive effects, uh, even in my world of, of swimming there's coaching change all the time in a positive direction so i'm excited to see how that plays out yeah definitely i i mean i i'm really excited about the basketball team i know the women have lot have had a lot of injuries um you know lost lost some players that they thought they were going to have um but they're they're competing um shout out to michaela kleisinger she had uh a groundbreaking weekend uh, a few weekends ago with her uh, first in program history triple double two days in a row both wins that was huge you know they got uh, you know they kind of got smoked by Saskatchewan but I mean U of S is one of the best teams in the country so it's hard to hard to fault them for that um, and I, I think they I think they can make a playoff run if they can, uh, uh, you know, knock down some shots, that's going to be take care of the basketball. Um, those are going to be key for them. Men's team looks good. Um, I, I know they're probably, and they probably want to play better as all uh, athletes always want to play better. But I, I think they can also make the playoffs this year as well. Um, basketball is my favorite sport, so I'm really excited to see them in the new year. And uh, I will probably tune in to uh, the, these ISL finals. Uh, I'm, I'm super interested. I'm not a, a swimming guy at all, but this is super interesting to me. I want to I see this. Check it out. It's always good to have new viewers. Uh, do you have NBA ambitions? For... Uh, you know what? I do have NBA ambitions. Not as an athlete. Obviously. Not as an athlete. I would, I would love to be the sports psychologist for the Lakers one day. That'll mm -hmm. never happen. But uh, it, would, uh, it would be extremely cool. Uh, LeBron James, youngest player to 33,000 points. 
Um, Lakers, number one team in the NBA right now. I, uh, I am, I am more than excited to, uh, see the Lakers hold up that 2020 championship. And it would be really special, actually, to see Raptors and Lakers go back to back. Um, that would be, that would be my dream, honestly. Um, but yes, sports psychologist for the Lakers in five years. Five years. Five All right. Years. I'll hold you to that. Please do. Please do. Print an article in the Carillon. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if you can even get Kobe to tweet at me, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy. That's my five-year accomplishment. I, okay. I don't even care after that. Tweet from Kobe. Tweet from Kobe on my birthday. Please, Kobe Bryant, if you are listening to this, tweet me or at me on December 13th. So please, God. Numerous viewers of the How to Catch a Cougar podcast. Tweet at Kobe Bryant. Oh, yes, please. Uh, I, oh, this is so horrible. I don't even remember my Twitter handle. No Twitter handle. That's the takeaway from the show. That is the takeaway from the show. <laughs> this, is, this is how much I use social media. I don't even use it at all, but I still want Kobe Bryant to at me. To at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just at Tyler Meadows at University of Regina Carol. Just at the Carillon. At the Carillon Twitter account. Yeah. Maybe Kobe Bryant can just at the Twitter, uh, the Carillon Twitter account. That sounds better. All right. I mean, we we will get so many more listeners to this podcast if Kobe Bryant adds the Carillon. I, I think that would be that would be good for viewership for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think this was an excellent first podcast of How to Catch a Cougar. I'm excited to do more. Um, look for us in the in the new year, 2020, with uh, future Olympian Brian Palaszczuk. And future NBA sports psychologist, Tyler Meadows. Well, thank you so much, Brian, and uh, we'll see y'all later. Thanks for tuning in.